Okay, hello and welcome back to the Do The Work podcast. Hope you're all doing well today, enjoying the nice weather. Um, we have a jam-packed episode for you today. I'm delighted to be joined by three people, two of which you'll be very familiar with. Um, I've got Krabby and James back. How are you, gentlemen? You all right? Good. Thanks for having me on this one, Dale. Super stoked for this one, mate. <laughs> Krabby's very excited for this one. Um, and then I'll introduce our special guest today, um, who is Mr. David Gray. Now, um, David, we've sort of been followers from yourself, of yourself for a little while now. Um, I think, Krabby, it was more you that sort of introduced me to your work, David, and we've been sort of wanting to get you on for a little while. Um, so here we are. Here we are. Now, some of the people listening into this podcast tend to be, from, for my listeners, people that are a little bit stuck with the weight loss, they enjoy training and that kind of um, listener. So many of them won't have come across yourself before. So please, well, first of all, welcome to the podcast. But if you could just um, in, you know, two to three minutes, just introduce yourself um, a little bit about what you've done and what you're doing now, that'd be fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thanks for having me on, guys. I'm looking forward to the chat. Um, I'm, I'm probably struggling a bit with the weight loss myself at the moment. I've had a, I've had a rough year with COVID, so um, time to get rid of that belly, I think. But um, I'm, I'm a kind of a rehab specialist, I guess. I don't whatever that means. Like I kind of work with people in pain and suffering with maybe performance issues and movement issues, and it's kind of start, <coughs> excuse me, it's kind of starting to become more of a almost like a, a consultant, a rehab consultant, especially for like better athletes around the world um, that are maybe getting to a certain stage in their rehab and are a little bit stuck and need a, a little bit of advice to get them towards the next stage or they're, they're not quite progressing the way they want to be. So, so yeah, I'm in Ireland and um, working with people all over, but like nor, I'm a neuromuscular physical therapist, but I, I'm kind of trying to use those terms as little as possible, to be honest at the moment, because well, how, how much, because there, there is very little in common, I think with, that I have with a lot of other people that in the physio or physical therapy space, to be honest, um, for good or for bad, um, that, that, that doesn't mean I'm, I'm good or better than them. I just think we're just a little bit different in a lot of cases. Um, and there's a heavy focus on, on just movement. I think good quality movement is kind of the center of the universe there. We, we make sure we get that right first and build everything else around that. And obviously nutrition and sleep and all that stuff as well. But, for me, in my world, at least good quality movement comes first and, and long before any manual therapy or recovery tools or even strength training necessarily. I think just everything for me starts with good quality movement and that's where we try to build our base from. So I'm just, that, that's about it for me. I'm really just doing a lot of online work at the moment and um, enjoying it, but enjoying it. looking forward to getting back to seeing more people in person as well. I, could, I can see them in person if I want at the moment, but we're pretty busy online, so we're keeping pushing on with that because I'm not, I'm not a fan of the, the PPE, so I'll, I'll avoid that for as long as I can. So, so yeah, that, that's, that's kind of me, I guess. Yeah, awesome. Thank you for that. I mean, it does appear that over uh, lockdown, your um, following, shall we say, has grown somewhat um, and you've had sort of more and more success. And I think... Your standpoint's really interesting because it's very, you mentioned obviously not kind of categorizing yourself as a physio um, and maybe more of a consultant because it's all practical and application based, right? You sort of, the things that you do are things that you've found 
that have worked for you and your clients, which at the end of the day is more important than a, than a textbook, right? Because, um, you know, in the past, uh, lads, you probably experienced this as well in terms of, you know, uh, clients coming to go, and do you recommend a physio? Um, you know, or I need to go to a physio and try something. And the client kind of comes back and, you know, it's like, I'll oh, do some calf raises or like, do you know, do, just do this stretch or something like that. And it's really, really vague. Um, so kind of since following your stuff, um, it's kind of opened doors for, for me and my knowledge. And I know it has for the other lads as well. Um, the kind of questions today that we've got, as I said, there's sort of a broad spectrum and we've got maybe two or three each. Um, I'm just going to start it off if that's all right, because yeah. one of the big things that um, you talk about a lot is the importance of breathing mechanics. Um, and you talk around the idea that we take, you know, 20,000 to 22,000 breaths per day, um, and most of them are suboptimal at best. Mm-hmm. So the people listening to this aren't necessarily um, in depth in terms of the knowledge and the understanding of that. So how would you explain in, you know, a simple format to a, a gem pop person, you know, the importance of effective breathing mechanics? Yeah. It's a tricky one because you can come at it in so many different ways. And like, it's definitely, it can definitely get very complicated and you can go down the rabbit hole. But most people kind of intuitively understand it, regardless if they have any background in exercise or anything at all. They understand it because if you see someone who is in work and is very stressed in an office job, you're going to see them breathing quite poorly or, or poorly is a bad word. They're, they're, they're going to be breathing quite heavily. And so everyone can see that everyone can spot that in their friend. Or if someone is, if someone is quite fit versus not so fit, you'll see their breathing gets out of control a lot quicker. And if someone is, there's a there's a trauma or something has happened in like a unfortunately someone has died or something like that you'll see someone's breathing getting very fast and very kind of shallow as well so anyone can see this and we all know this intuitively but what people what people don't see is the kind of the level below that the level like so right it's not that i'm i'm freaking out necessarily or having a panic attack but there's a lot of people that are walking around the world 24 7 pretty much and they're 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 living in those kind of stressful levels but it's just below that like very very obvious to the to everyone's eye and that's that's an issue because from a from a mechanic standpoint that means that certain muscles are working hard to maybe pull air in all of the time and certain muscles are not working as hard as they should. Certain muscles are working hard to help us get air out and certain muscles are not working as hard as they should. But more than that by far is with regards to what it does to the nervous system and just your, your kind of your day to day being able to just relax and, and let things go. And that, that's, that's so important. It's so important. It doesn't sound that important. It's much, it's much fancier to be able to talk about building big glutes or going on this new fancy diet or having a new recovery tool. But your breathing rate and your breathing mechanics and, and all of that stuff that comes, in, comes along with that pretty much dictates how well you're going to feel and how well you're going to function. And that... You're, most people's breathing unfortunately is quite poor 
and that's driving them more into a kind of a fight or flight response all of the time but it's subclinical they don't they, they can't see it a lot of these you know like if you if you went into like someone might have unfortunately a clinical neurological problem and and they go into a physio and it's very obvious and they can see it straight away but a lot of these things that are happening to to most people are subclinical they're they're not obvious they're not something that a gp would talk about but there that doesn't mean that they're not having a massive effect on how we how we move number one and how we feel most importantly so unfortunately most people are living in kind of you could call it an inhaled state where they're just taking in way too much air all of the time it's in 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 and it's very rarely an out because if you think about an out breath it would be more like a, a letting go and which is more of a relaxation and that's something that we all struggle with is is actually letting go even if you think you're relaxed and you're sitting on the couch like I'm relaxing, but if your breathing isn't relaxing, then your 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 nervous system, which is really the boss, isn't actually really getting into that relaxation state. It still thinks, okay, you're still in the gym working hard, or you're still in work getting stressed off your tits, or whatever it is. So there's there's so much to talk about there. But at the end of the day, it, it, a lot of it just comes back to being able to breathe in a nice gentle smooth relaxed way and that has massive knock-on effects around your whole body and your whole life to be honest it's really interesting that because like you say it's all the the cause and effect side of stuff but you've also touched on um it's not only kind of like the physical impact that it can have but the psychological impact as well right because you're talking about relaxing and getting into that either being in that fight or flight state and, and being able to get into the parasympathetic state which so many people struggle with now when this is kind of not the theme of the podcast but around not being able to switch off and relax and anxiety and panic attacks and yeah. not going to sleep and things like that so you know not only is this going to help your training and your recovery um but it's going to help you be able to relax and switch off from all the stresses in life as well so I guess you're right in saying it's such a broad subject and we could talk about it all day. Yeah. What I'm going to do is I'm just going to run on to my last question and I'm going to hand it over so the other lads to fire their questions over. So it's kind of a knock-on effect of, of what we've just talked about there. So what's the you talked about the potential impact of not being able to relax and stuff. What, what could some physical um, impacts be from ineffective breathing mechanics or someone, for say, who's a mouth breather who's inhalation yeah. dominant? how could that impact maybe their overall movement patterns and injury risk? Yeah. Injury risk, very hard to say um, because it's, it's, if uh, 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 there's a lot of people on, on social media that, that will say this movement causes this injury. And we actually know that that's not the case at all, really. So on, I would say to someone who says that, to, like there's a lot of them coaches going around and I would say, unless you can pick out a full team of players and say he's the one that's going to hurt his ACL this year, uh, which no one can do, then we can't really talk about... I don't think we can talk about injury that much. Um, now, I, I, I would like to think that we can kind of point at some factors, but it's, it also becomes a very vague and murky world where a lot of people are selling solutions to problems that maybe don't exist in the first place in that world with regards to movement we can we can kind of quantify movement and measure movement in terms of range of motion and and velocity and all of these things but on a very basic level for someone who breathes poorly you're going to see a very stiff rib cage 
And that's not even something that's spoken about a, a rib cage. How well does my rib cage move? People usually would say, oh, my shoulder mobility is poor. My hip mobility might be poor. My feet, maybe. That's, that's becoming a bit of a sexy thing to talk about. But never the rib cage. But we have an absolute ton, a shit ton of joints in, in the thorax. And they need to be able to move. Wherever you see joints in a body, that's where movement should happen. And if you don't see joints, there's a reason why there's a reason why you have a, a femur and a tibia and they make up the knee joint pretty much because the joint can move, but it doesn't have that much movement available at it in terms of degrees of freedom. But in terms of the movement at the thorax, there's so many joints there and they all should make up really good movement and that has big implications on so basically the rib should be able to open in 360 degrees and close in 360 degrees and the people with that very poor breathing that we're talking about they'll you'll see like this elevation maybe of the whole rib cage lifting up at the front but if you think about if and people can even try that themselves if you think about the whole rib cage lifting up at the front that means that the whole rib cage at the back is closing off at the back so I'm opening at the front and closing the back. And then you'll see, you'll see that. And then people try and promote belly breathing, which promotes the exact same thing. And a big opening at the front and a big closing at the back. And then we wonder why people walk around with tight backs all of the time. And that puts us, our diaphragm and our breathing muscles, our primary breathing muscles in a very kind of suboptimal position. And you start to see people using necks a lot. Like if people even do a sniff, like that you'll start to see neck muscles contract or even people can feel that if you sniff you'll feel your neck muscles contract and what they're trying to do is actually just elevate the upper ribs up to pull air into the body but that's not again not 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 really uh that's not really a good thing that it's it's something that we need to be able to do if a if some a tiger is chasing me i want to be able to just get that air in however i don't care but in terms of breathing 24 7 that's not great so that that all of that stuff together leads to a very stiff rib cage usually and when you see a stiff rib cage you're going to see stiffness all over the body pretty much so that will lead down to very very because the, the rib cage has a massive effect on what's happening at the pelvis which obviously makes up which is which which makes up some of the hips and which is having a big impact on what's happening at the hips and all downstream. And then the shoulders will be more upstream. So basically a lot of these issues that people are talking about and trying to solve with stretches are actually happening around that rib cage and pelvis region. And then I'm losing, I'm losing range of motion more distally and distally just means further from the center of the body. So as I go further out into shoulders and hips, they have to tighten up. And then further again and further again, they usually have to tighten up because I can't generate that good quality stability and movement around the midline. So a lot of that starts with breathing mechanics and it sounds a bit airy fairy, but you can measure these things and you can change these things very, very quickly. And you can put someone on a physio table. You can, you can get them to breathe and, and expand into an area that hasn't been expanded before and they'll get more range of motion than they have from five years of stretching within five, 10, 15 breaths sometimes. So you can measure these things and, and 
it just shows when people when people feel that they believe it when they when someone like me talks about it on the podcast they don't really believe it but when they feel it and see it they do believe it yeah could i just hop in there actually um about the i think some of the issue that i tend to see anyway with people is when they think of breath work they think it's this sort of woo woo kind of you know sit cross-legged and breathe into your belly yeah and immediately when people hear chest breathing they see that as a negative thing you know as oh we're constantly breathing into our chest but there's there's a right and a wrong way as i see it that you could breathe into your chest because like i i did boxing for years my shoulder flexion was very very poor Mm -hmm. and it was only when i seen the likes of yourself and connor harris talking about um, posterior expansion and getting air into the back of the rib cage that within minutes you can see that shoulder flexion improves massively can you just maybe for people who maybe don't understand what posterior ex- expansion is and maybe why that can have a beneficial impact for people yeah um yeah so the chest the chest breathing thing if people just think about this and, and you hear that all the time i'm a chest breather i'm a chest breather and, and really, they're not, not a chance they're a chest breather. I would say I would love if you're a chest breather. If you can ex- get a chest expansion, that would be amazing. Because that would happen if you think about tissue stretching from the inside out. If you, if you think about it, having a balloon inside your, inside your chest, inside your sternum. So put a balloon, a deflated balloon inside your body there, inside your ribcage, and then get a pump and inflate it up. Then that would push the chest and, and the back further away from each other and the sides further away from each other. So that balloon expands in 360 degrees. So that would be air pushing back to front and front to back. And that's kind of, that's kind of that chest that, that would be a really nice opening of the chest. But most people then when they think about chest breathing, they think about their shoulders rising up and that would not be, any expansion of the ribcage really because the entire ribcage moves as one up together instead of all of the ribs actually moving away from each other from the inside out and some people can get that to happen on one side of their chest and not the other actually i i would say i could count on one hand the amount of people i've actually ever seen that can expand both sides of their chest without actually having just been coached how to do it and even that being coached how to do it could take months and months and months of practice to even get that to open in any significant way so firstly i just hopefully the people on the podcast can just accept they can just trust me that they're not chest breeders because they can't expand their chest and we can just say that pretty much for every single person that's lifting listening me included we really struggle to get expansion in, in those areas on one or both sides. Um, and that kind of, that's kind of the same for posterior expansion there. Like, so it just goes into the back of the body because the people who again say I'm a chest breather, if you think about that balloon analogy, if, if we were breathing well, then both sides of the rib cage are getting expansion. So that balloon is opening in 360 degrees from the middle out. But if you think you're a chest breather, and that air is going into the chest and that's lifting the chest up, then that's what we said earlier. That's actually closing the back of the rib cage. So that's not that balloon analogy. It's almost the exact opposite of that. So the back of the rib cage, we know 
So, so our, our, our DNA, our evolution is not, is not stupid, right? It, it's our bones are shaped in a certain way and all our bones, all of us here, everyone listening, everyone that ever existed pretty much have similar shape of bones. And yeah, some of the, some of us are bigger or smaller. Some of us have, are born genetically with the joints are, the, the bones are a little bit different, but in general, they're very, very similar. They're similar shape. And what we know about the, the thoracic spine is it should be a slightly kyphotic curve. So a, bit, a little bit of a rounded curve in our back. And that should also have a nice little round back of the rib cage. And then we also should have a shoulder blade that's nice and round, the opposite curve, but it sits and it sits nice and flush on the back of the rib cage. So this one is a rounded curve, which is the rib cage. One is the scapula and they sit on top of each other. And that allows the shoulder blade to glide really nicely over the back of the rib cage. But as soon as I can't get air into the back of the rib cage, that gets a little bit more flat at the back. And this goes, this is a much bigger conversation as well, because it's not just about air at that stage. Then it's about your, your granny told you to stand up straight. And, but to her standing up straight means squeeze your shoulder blades back because that's a military posture where they, they would have grown up like that, that you had to have this military posture. So now I'm walking around squeezing my shoulder blades back together. Now I, I already breathe like crap. I know I can't, I know I can't get air into the back of the rib cage because that would be more of a relaxation. So me looking at a screen is more of a fight or flight response. I'm looking at my screen all day long. Me worrying about getting my work done is a fight or flight response. Me, me not sleeping well is a fight or flight response. Me even not e eating food that agrees with me necessarily is a fight or flight response. So I have all of these things that are kind of driving me into that ribs up position. And then I have my granny that's telling me to hold that position. And then I go into the gym and I have a personal trainer that says, don't let your shoulders come forward, only squeeze your shoulder blades back. And if you look at every lift that's ever been done in the history of the gym, it's a row, it's a bench press, it's a back squat, it's a deadlift, it's a lat pull down, everything is squeezing the back together. And then someone says, I actually can't get my shoulder over my head. Of course you can't because you've lost that round curve of the back of the rib cage and now the shoulder blade has nothing to actually glide over and you just hit a blocky impingy feeling at your shoulder very, very quickly, much earlier than it should actually hit. So it's, it's, it's a way bigger conversation than breathing, but it's, it's, it's all about all of our daily habits and, and unfortunately, a lot of the daily habits that we've been told that are good things that might look good for a short period of time are pushing us further into positions that really, really changes or are trying to change the shape of the bones. And if, if evolution wanted us to have a straight back, it would have given us a straight back. It's as simple as that. It would have said, oh, this is more optimal. Now there's your straight back. Don't ever worry about breathing into the back of the rib cage. And then to go another step further, which I'll leave it at this, but if you look at all the nerves that are running down along the spine, that area, like that shit there is, is prime real estate there. We do not want to be compressing that area of our body. And you start to see people with 
sinus issues, um, sinuses issues like blood flow issues, sir, poor circulation. They start to get like, I don't want to get make big claims here, but you start to see people with poor, poor sexual, whatever you want to call it, like blood flow. There's not, there's not flow. The nerves aren't flowing. The blood isn't flowing. The, the tissues aren't flowing. And it's, we're, we're just compressing the crap out of that area. And that area is prime real estate. So we need to keep it open and stop compressing it all of the time. Yeah, I, just don't mind, uh, I hope you don't mind if I jump in there because that really ties on nicely to my question. And even though the first question that I had in my head has changed about 20 times since starting this podcast, uh, it falls nicely back to the original one uh, that I was meant to ask, David. So uh, I love how you talk about how, uh, so I quote and quote you a lot, you know, you say about how your worst position is your stuck position, best position is your next best position. And you're talking about how it's been embedded into us from an early age, even at school, you know, sit upright with your, with your chest out. And that's kind of what you're saying. We're told to always try and spend most of our days standing up. But again, mm -hmm. if you do that for too long, it becomes problematic and we just limit our movement variability. So when we talk about, or when you talk about compressing the back of the rib cage and that um, elevated um, front of the rib cage, um, how does that feed into us really struggling to manage our center of mass um, in terms of in and out of the gym. And if you wouldn't mind just clarifying for the uh, listeners what center of mass actually is. Yeah, yeah, it's a, good, it's a really good question actually in terms of, so if, if anyone just stands up and feels their body, you might not be able to hear, but like if you just stand up, you'll feel your center of mass is, is basically where, where, where your body is aligned, how it's aligned and how it's resting. And for the most part, it should be resting somewhere around your midfoot. Okay, so it's just it's just in a nice position where I don't have to fight gravity that much. I'm not falling forward or I'm not falling back. But this these these postures and poor breathing and all of these things that we're speaking about, and and even if people stand up and just relax and feel their body, and then they take a big inhale into their belly or into the front of their body they'll start to feel their body being pulled forward. And you, you, you can feel this. You should be able to feel this. If you're not, then there's, there's a bit of a problem. But you'll start to feel the weight shift forward in the feet. And suddenly you'll start to feel toes grip into the floor. Your calves will kick in. Your back extensors, your back muscles will kick in. And there's a very important reason for that. And these are reflexes that kick in. These are not conscious muscle contractions. The reason is, probably the number one thing. So your nervous system doesn't care about you optimizing anything. It doesn't care about you being the best powerlifter or having the best bikini body in the world or any of these things. It does not give a shit. It wants to keep you safe and alive. That's pretty much it. And that's why like we can't, we can't grow everlasting amounts of muscle. At some point, we just get limited in how much we can grow. And that's because that there's an energy cost to that muscle. And that goes, that goes to everything else as well. There's a limit to how fast we can run or how high we can jump or all of these things. And we're just genetically limited. And that's why, that's why drugs are so important because it, it starts to cut off those limits a little bit. Um, but the nervous system basically is, is inhibiting us at a certain point It's saying, no, I'm not letting you go much further in any, in any of these directions because it wants to keep balance. It wants to say, right, we're, we're a bit safer here, not going too far to any extreme. 
okay? So if we, if we think about balance then and center of mass, center of gravity, base of support, when my weight starts to shift forward like that, if you're in a nervous system, right, you're, you're in a little black box. You don't have access to the outside world except for kind of through the senses. And, and then you're relying on the muscles and the reflexes that are inbuilt into the body to keep us safe. Basically, the muscles are just like light switches going on and off, especially as speed of movement starts to increase. But as my weight starts to shift forward, my brain is saying, I'm going to fall here. Or my nervous system is saying, I'm going to fall over here. And if you think about 10,000 years ago in nature, the, one of the most dangerous things you could have ever done is fall. You can't ring an ambulance. You can't, like, there's no, like, sending a text to someone and saying, collect me, I'm after falling over a curb here. It's like, I'm dead meat here, I'm on the floor, and there's someone chasing after me, or I'm, I'm lunch. So falling is one of the most dangerous things that we could do. And there's so, our, our body is unbelievably smart. Not our brain, our body, these reflexes are in our body to stop us from falling over. And the more my weight shifts forward on my feet, the more these muscles are going to start to contract and tighten up and stop me from falling over. And even if you try and fall over, you won't be able. If you, fall, if you go that far forward on your feet and then you say, I'm actually going to let myself fall here and think about like falling on my face, a leg will come out and catch it. And you can try all you want to stop that from happening. And I bet you a leg will still come out and catch it because that's called a stumble reflex. These are inbuilt. So these reflexes are being activated all of the time. Then when I start to open the front of my body like that all of the time. And what do you see? Or what do we see with people then all of the time that are in those positions? They have very tight backs, very tight calves. They can't, they say, I can't get my glutes to work. Of course you can't. If your glute contracts there, it's going to push you further forward. You're definitely going to fall over. Why would my body want to put my glute into that equation? It says, no, it's not like it can't. People say it can, you can't activate your glute. Of course you can. It's just not in a position where I would even want to. So feet, calves, back erectors, a lot of that stuff. And they're, they're designed to stop me from falling over. So this begs the question then, when you see people with tightness in those areas, am I going to give them a stretch? Am I going to say, oh, you actually need to strengthen your calves more or strengthen your back erectors more? No, you just actually need to get your center of mass to start to come back on your feet to, to a nice position where it's not that that position is better than forward. It's just that I want to be able to go forward and back and move in all of these different ways and have muscles shorten and lengthen. So that's why it's very, very hard for me to, not that I won't do it, but it's very hard for me to give someone a stretch or foam rolling or too much manual therapy or talking about strengthening these muscles until we can actually just get to the root cause of the problem and start to change why they're there in the first place. Yeah. So that's, that's really, you know, those sort of uh, techniques are really just a bandaid. If you know, you're only patching up something, whereas you actually want to get to the actual cause of the situation. Is that kind of what you're saying? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. And I'm trying to, I, I, I try to be careful with, you know, like I could, I do catch myself saying root cause and stuff a lot, but it's not that simple. Like, you know, there's always, there's, there's always multiple factors that are going on, like for, for anyone really, we're not just a, a simple equation really, but like in, in general, there's, 
there's some big rocks at least that we would like to address. And I'm a big fan, like people who've done or worked with me or whatever will know how much I strengthen the hell out of people. But, and we kind of just look at it in two ways. We just say, right, we're going to strengthen everything that needs to be strengthened, but we're going to make sure that everything is moving really well as well. And to be honest, I think that's quite a, I think that's quite a good, good way of looking at it. And, and just on, on that, like being sort of in that position where the center mass is kind of maybe, uh, you know, altered, can that then affect like sort of rest and muscle lengths and stuff like that? So say, for example, you probably hear this like a million times a week from GA players is, oh, I have tight hamstrings. Is that, can that sort of center of mass being changed then affect maybe the fact that maybe the hamstrings are maybe not maybe they're too tight or they're not tight too tight but maybe they're too long nearly because of that sort of posture yeah yeah that's yeah it is it's but like bones bones if you just think about a string and two attachment points like there's a string between two attachment points bones move away from each other and when bones move away from each other a muscle is going to get pulled on and, and, and tensioned and when bones move together there's a there's a little bit of less less tension there that's passively now not actively they're kind of being pulled in that position so yeah in in that position you usually see like uh more of an arch in the lower back in that kind of forward position and when you see more of an arch in the in the lower back you'll see kind of sit bones that have kind of almost gone up to the sky a little bit and that's just pulling on the hamstrings all the time again it's not a bad position to be in it's really a really important position to be able to get into but it's basically your body is telling you that that tightness is like, actually you're just being, you're just stretching all of the time. If I put someone or anyone goes into a small hamstring stretch, they're going to feel a stretch, like a tightness in their muscle. You feel it in their muscle as soon as you go into a stretch. And that's the same feeling that people are getting in their, in their hamstrings a lot of the time. Um, And so, yes, there's more optimal length tension relationships around all, all the muscles and and that's the same conversation around the glutes and stuff like that like of course the glutes aren't getting a chance to do a, a really good job because they've turned their hip extensors the glutes like as a, as a chance to be a pe- very powerful hip extensor to push us forward instead of that they've kind of turned their their back muscles into that you know so yes we can get very very deep on like the the biomechanics and the kinematics of it but to, to be quite simple about it, like just, and it, go, it does go back to evolution again, like the glutes are a short, thick muscle. They need a bit of time to produce force. But if I'm already forward on my feet, then they don't get that chance. They're probably, they're, they're not getting that time to produce force because I'm kind of already there. So there's, there's a lot to talk about there, but definitely it goes, it goes a lot deeper than am I, am I, do I have tight hamstrings? I need to stretch them. I, I don't think, that would be an answer that I would ever really come up with. And even some people can have tight hamstrings, but I would still say they just can't flex their hips very well. So there's, there's a kind of a movement out there that, that say, oh, the hamstrings actually are tight and you need to stretch them. That, that's, not a bad, that's not a bad thought process, but I just see, okay, if you can flex your hips and extend your hips, then you can probably get more length in the hamstrings and more shortening in the hamstrings. And a lot of these GA players that you're talking about, James, they just can't get into their hips or, or they can't move their hips well. And so the muscles can't go through that range of motion. So stretching the muscle doesn't improve how well I get into the hip. 
And it seems to be, David, a very, you mentioned, obviously, and James said it as well, like a lot of people say, I've got tight hamstrings, I've got tight hamstrings. And that little shift in the hip, that anterior pelvic tilt, if you will, would you say that's a very common thing for gem pop people to uh, suffer with? I don't know if that's the correct term, but to, to experience, would you say you see that a lot? Yeah, I see that a lot. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm kind of, you can look at both sides of the pelvis. You might see a little bit more on one side or the other, but in general, you just see a, a, a good bit of that. Or there's two options really that you might see. You might see a, a, a anterior pelvic tilt, whereas like the whole pelvis tilts forward at the front for people that maybe are, are struggling with that term the pelvis just kind of if you think about it as a bowl it spills forward a little bit and then the other one will be more of a anterior pelvic shift where you just see the pelvis being pushed forward almost in front of the body and that's where you might see someone with a maybe like an overly kyphotic spine, like an overly rounded upper back, middle and upper back, like the pelvis goes forward and now something has to bring me back. So this, the, the middle and upper back might start to come backwards then as a result, because that's the center of mass thing again. Everything can't go forward. Something has to go back. So you might see that or else actually in a lot of women, actually what you'll see is the pelvis goes forward in front as a shift of the pelvis and actually the knees hyperextend back. I think it's important for the listeners to really listen into what you're saying there. Uh, in a nutshell, what you're saying is any slight movement from a particular area is going to impact the rest of the body and how you feel and how you're able to move. And I think that's the big message from today. We talked obviously about it almost beginning with breathing mechanics, but there's so many other things that can, that can, that can affect that as well. Um, so and like you said, we could be going off on loads of tangents here, but Krabby, I know you've got another couple of questions, mate. So the, the floor is yours. No, it, um, it just, yeah, it's um, going back of what we were saying earlier, like trying to convince people that stretching isn't the, the priority and, you know, the, the highest ticket offer. But um, it's hard to convince someone, I'm sure you'll agree, David, obviously more than us, that to get away from their bias. Because I have so many friends now and, and even family who say, oh, I need to stretch this and stretch this. And I tell them to do a breathing drill and they do it once and they'll just go back to the physio that they were, they were going to. And yeah. um, this is why I find it really hard now to actually refer someone to a physio because I'm like, well, I've only got two physios probably, but they're both in Ireland <laughs> that I'd recommend someone. But I definitely, I, the reason that I'm sure and the, uh, Dale and James also resonate with this is because going off of what you're saying about forward tilt with the pelvis, tight hamstrings, you know, I was someone prior to work with Angus who would wear their sternum about four inches in front of their pelvis, um, tore my ACL twice, had a physio tell me that I've got a weak glute, um, a flat foot, give me orthotics. I've literally like had it all. And it's really good to go through that shit and then come across your work with Angus and Connor Harris and all that. And then um, I guess come out the other side. And I love how you say that it's not that these are the golden ticket. It's just what's missing. Mm-hmm. Um, and one thing that I guess my easy prescription to people, and if you can sort of elaborate on this, is we don't need more air in. We just need probably more air out. And your breathing drills that you prescribe, like the, the 1990s um, hip lift, the posterior expansion, child's pose, abs all fours, all of that, um, it teaches you to silent inhale through the nose, I understand, for four to six seconds, mm-hmm. um, breathe out, fog up the biggest mirror in the room sometimes with the mouth, and then that pause. If you wouldn't mind just sort of, your reasoning behind those three steps and why they're so important because when i get people to do it they they, they don't they they're not present they're just fucking winging it yeah yeah 
there's a lot there. Firstly, don't try and convince anything, anyone, anything ever. Um, I've gone past that. Uh, you'll get past that too. Um, it doesn't work. You have to, you, you have to prove it to them though. It, it just, just offer, just offer proof. Like no one, this is why I've been thinking about it a lot recently. Like you can't, you can't, why would someone believe you or believe something that you're saying when nothing anyone has ever told them in the past has ever worked for them? So most people will have seen 20 physios in their lifetime and they still have the same problem that they had when they went to the first one. It might be better, it might be worse, but this it's still there usually or, or they've, they've just, they, they've got rid of that and another one crops up and another one crops up. And that's, that's called being a human being. Like it's, we're, we're never going to be perfect. There is always going to be issues, small or big. There's always going to be issues. But in general, people's idea of gold standard practices, Jesus, I felt good there for 24 hours after that rub. And He's a magician. He has. A, he's a magician. That fella. He has. His his hands are 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 hand of God. There now. I, I feel great for twenty four hours. Like that's what we think is is good practice here, yeah. in the world. And that's not. I used to think that was in Ireland. And then I traveled the world, and I said that's everywhere. Uh, everyone thinks it's in their own town. There's no one good in my town. Actually, there's no one good any in any town. Now there is. Don't get me wrong. There is. There's a lot of brilliant people out there, but in general, like that's what if you go to if you go to if you talk to your uncle or someone like and they, they tell you i have chronic lower back pain and you say oh maybe you should think about trying this and this they'll say no i i have a, I have the best physio in the world he rubs me twice a week and i feel amazing for the following day i'm like that's if i went to a surgeon and said i need you to fix my back here uh he'd say come back for three surgeries a week for the next three years I wouldn't, I probably wouldn't take that, you know? So we need to be, I think we need to be a bit more selfish with what we're asking and, and expect more of if we, if we went to any tradesman and they came to do a job, you'd want that job to be, to be, to be done. Now, don't underestimate the complexity of the human body and these things like can take time there's no doubt about that but in general i think we just need to be better as an industry at, at actually helping people to be honest but in terms of the 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 breathing like the breathing cycle yeah three parts so an inhale an exhale and a pause again going back to that stress breathing pattern what you'll see is a lot of inhales so uh, <laughs> like this the in exhale will usually be shorter and there won't be a pause There'll, there'll very rarely be a pause and even that i exaggerate i might have exaggerated that but it's still that same thing just on a, on a lesser level so we usually will teach people to get the exhalation like we focus on the exhalation first usually and i i say that a good exhalation only counts if the ribs are moving so some people can blow and blow and blow and get all of the air out, but I haven't seen the ribs move a millimeter. Yeah. And that's this like weird isometric contraction around the abdominal muscles, yeah. but they're not actually pulling on the bones or pulling the bones into any kind of position. So really, if I'm blowing and deflating the lungs, then the ribs should start to be kind of wrapping in and closing in together. So that is, the exhalation really only counts if the ribs are moving now that might be more one side of the ribs closing more or the other 
or like the upper ribs or the lower ribs or the back of the ribs or whatever different you might be cueing different things but in general if you're doing a good exhale and this is not like throughout the day really because that's harder to see but in a breathing drill you should see the ribs moving now when people first learn to do that exhale what they'll do straight away is and people can try this themselves they'll blow or fog like let all the air out but they're instant and it's a reflex again the instant reaction is going to be sniff air in because they are not used to getting rid of that air in their body yeah. and they think they basically think they need more air than they than they need all of the time they need to have just this hyperinflation all of the time but that's not the case so an exhalation leads to this like panicky inhale then after that so initially the pause then is really really important because that's that time where i get to compose myself for even a second or two seconds and then say i, I it's kind of like overriding the system where my reaction and my reflex will be sniff air in actually i'm going to say no don't breathe pause appreciate that you're not going to die which is which it's kind of it sounds it sounds funny but that is effectively the reflex that's kicking in like when i get rid of this air i need to get air in or i'm going to die that's not the conscious reaction but that's what's happening underneath so the pause is so important to kind of break that and say you're fine just just live with this for a second two seconds and then we're going to try and choose a conscious a more conscious relaxed inhalation strategy which is not that sniff it's more of a just a gentle take that air in allow it to flow into your body and fill up some spaces again and that's that's so important so the inhale people focus a lot on the exhale and and i i emphasize that in the programs and the work that i do but as we I, th- I think i need to start to explain more to people that the inhale is actually the fix the inhale is what when the magic happens the exhale is just set and the pause are just setting us up for the good inhale if i've done the if i've got the position right so i, I position someone in the position that they need to be in or the exercise that they need to be in and i get the exhale right where i close the ribs where they need to close yeah. and i get the pause right where they just don't don't freak out then the inhale is the fix because that's now going to expand an area that has previously been compressed. Yeah. So that inhale is actually the key, but most people don't appreciate or realize or even understand that. And it takes them a long time to understand that the inhale is the key. If I can get the other things right. If I don't, if I don't get the other things right, I can't get the inhale right. And if I don't have that pause, I can't get the inhale right. Yeah, no, that's class. And I, what I love about the breathing drills is, that they, they cover all angles. They get you getting in air into certain spaces that's been, that how you haven't been, which is why it's so hard for 10 plus years or whatever. So you, you're improving breathing mechanics, you're getting the diaphragm contracting properly and you're getting people moving better, but also you're getting people to deal better with stress. Like you said, if you can deal with, um, if you can, sorry, um, regulate your breathing better um, in yeah. a scenario where you just want to inhale straight away, then when you, go into your working day life you're more likely to be less triggered because as you say in this day and age we're so sympathetic and we're struggling to get parasympathetic when really we should be parasympathetic sympathetic when chosen um but yeah no yeah that's class yeah absolutely yeah it's that like if you look at if you look at someone in your life that 
not maybe in your life, but in anyone's life that like they they love a bit of drama in their life. They they don't have the they don't have the awareness to take a pause. Something happens and they react to that. And there's no pause, there's no step back and say, just a split second, like, hang on, like is this is this the, the, the is this the response that I want to have to this situation? Or am I is it just another reflex that this is an inbuilt habit that I picked up along the way and now I'm shouting at someone because they brought me mayonnaise instead of tomato sauce? But you know that and, and that's the same with in, in any of your relationships, like or any uh, people that love drama, they can't take a pause. Because if they took a pause and actually said, hang on, like this isn't a big deal, you know, they would they wouldn't have that response. So the breathing is 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 exactly that you can you can see it in people who don't have the awareness to take a pause and that that crops up everywhere so that pause is so important to help people realize you don't have to react to everything straight away take a pause and the more likely your your breathing is is very very stressed the more likely you're already in a fight or flight the more likely you're going to respond and react to everything that happens instantly but that's not the response you want. If you sit down and think about it later on that night, like, I don't want that response. Do I really want to be getting in these confrontations? Someone, someone says something to me, do I want to shout back at them straight away? I probably don't. I just need to chill out, take my, take my pause. Split second is all it needs and I'll choose a better response. And that's, that goes for everything in life. But the breathing, I think, is driving a lot of that stuff. I find that really interesting. That, just to jump in, sorry, James, I'll have it for a second. You know, we've got, I didn't think we were going to get to that today. I didn't think that was going to come up in conversation today. The, the physiological impact of, of breath work and effective breathing as well. But it's so important, isn't it? And like you said there, David, like the reactions that you have to day-to-day things, which are going to impact your long-term management of stress. And obviously we all know the long-term implications of that as well. So it's not just important to, to tackle it for um, how you move. And, and how you feel, but also how you feel physiologically and mentally as well. So I'm kind of glad we've touched on that today because I think people will really, really resonate with that. Um, I know we've got about 10 minutes or so, give or take now. So uh, James, did you want to throw another question out there? No, it was really just that actually blew me, blew my mind as well because and the minute you said it, I actually, a former client just popped straight into my head and it was yeah. like, it's so weird that that person, when you say it's someone who's always, you know, on age, basically, you just thought of that client. And then I thought back with that client, an awful lot of neck pain and yeah. upper back pain. And it, that just, that really, really just blew my mind. But um, no, I basically just wanted to finish up and say, uh, I, I've loved finding your work because it's, abs- it's been an absolute game changer. The, the breath work with, um, with my clients, uh, personal training clients, and especially um, I work with a good few Irish dancers and the breath workers, because they're obviously, you know, quite an interior path. It's part of their actual routine and your stuff has just made a massive, massive impact. So I just want to thank you for everything you've done and, you know, all the help that you've been. Yeah. Thanks mate. I'm happy to, I'm happy to hear that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well done. Awesome. Crabby, have you, did you have anything else, mate? I think there's one more question you might have had. Uh, I don't want to start. Come on, Crabby. Come on, Crabby. Are you sure? Oh, okay. 
Um, <laughs> I was convinced. Going back to his <laughs> essay, is is an essay wrote down. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to open up something which takes like another twenty minutes. To be fair, um, it was about co-contraction, but again, that can't be answered simple, can it? Or in short, depends on the question. Okay, so basically, it's like in in short, if you can, David, this could be asking a hell of a lot of you, but you know, when it comes to co-contraction, you know, how can it help athletes, but not only athletes, but also you know, stay-at-home mum, Julie, who just likes the occasional run. Because mm-hmm. I only came across co-contraction once coming across yours and, and Graham Morris. Um, that's the first time I came across it. And I think that most people, because everyone loves a run and people fall off curbs and whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, how, how is it important? So I guess we'll, we'll, we'll tell people what, it, what co-contractions are first. Um, I suppose, so... so it's basically when muscles on either side of the joint contract together. So an easy one to, to think about there is your bicep and your tricep. So on either side of the elbow joint and, and traditional kind of, and I'm ha- like, I'm kind of happy to ask that because the, the breath work, like sometimes people think that I just do breath work or, you know, like, like, and they, maybe people hear it and it starts to be kind of a yoga teachery type of thing. And it literally, couldn't be further from the truth really but um like the, the muscles on either side of the joint contract together and traditionally in a book you'll usually read about agonist and antagonist muscles which is one like my bicep contracts if you think about a bicep curl it contracts which means my tricep relaxes and that means like so i'm doing my bicep curl my bicep is is shortening and my tricep is lengthening so that's kind of traditional what we think about when we think about muscles. But as we, as we, again, you need to think about a nervous system, right? And and if a good a good example of this is like a rugby player is gonna is gonna hit me, or I'm running with the ball and a rugby player is coming to tackle me, and I want to hand them off, so I stick out my arm. Now, if the muscles, if that, if the muscles only have an ability to contract on one side of the joint and relax on the other, then my elbow is not going to be in a very stable place. And that's going to be like, it's either going to bend or it's going to straighten. It can't, it, they're the only two options it has, but it doesn't have that. It, it has an option to kind of contract all the muscles around the joint together at the same time. And this is so important for anyone really to be able to do this type of stuff. And, and a lot of your clients that you see that move poorly, they actually already have co-contractions everywhere. There's just their 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 body gets so stiff that there's the muscles are all contracting, especially around the spine. You start to see a spine that just there's no freedom between the segments. They all just have one big block, and that's co-contractions around the spine. So it's not that they're good or bad. It's when we want them and when we don't want them. So that rugby player, then if I can get those contractions around that joint, he hits me but my elbow stays nice and stiff and, and I can actually hand him off and keep moving. And that's a protective mechanism that's, again, is inbuilt into the body, those co-contractions. So when that comes to... So it, it becomes very important for speed of movement because, and I don't want to get too complicated with this, but muscles are, muscles are like almost hanging on our, on our body like, like a rope, but the rope has a little bit of slack in it. Okay, so slack in the rope, like it's a bit hangy, it's not tensioned, it's not like I pulled the rope and got that tension there. So, muscles need time to build tension and get take the slack out of the rope. 
right? And tension that rope. So before, so if, if, if we take that to running, then if I'm running and my foot hits the floor and we know that muscles need time to build that tension, then I'm going to probably be in trouble because I need to think about running more like the floor is actually hitting me, not me hitting the floor. The floor is attacking my foot. So if when the floor hits me, I then, I then decide, okay, now I'm going to contract my muscles. That's not such a good option because forces come into my body and, and I don't have the time to deal with that force. So instead, the inbuilt mechanisms in the body will say, I've done this before. I've, I've ran before I've taken a step. I know the floor is going to hit me. So I actually get pretension in the muscles. So before my foot hits the floor, the muscles will all, especially around the ankle joint, will start to kind of co-contract together. And that's a very safe place because instead of having a lengthening or a shortening, there will be a little bit of it, but in general, they're trying to co-contract together. So instead of having that lengthening or shortening, they're actually in a more of an isometric where they don't lengthen or shorten. And that's what allows energy then to transfer to the, around the body. Okay, so the body, as speed of movement increases, the body becomes a very simple body. It doesn't, there's no big, like, there's no big fancy things going on. The, the more complex my environment, the more simple the body becomes. So if you think about someone walking, walking down the street, their movement will be really nice and fluid. And then you think about someone that walks on ice their movement won't be simple and fluid. It will be stiffer and more rigid. And that's a protective mechanism. And that's, that's the body just becoming simple because a simple body can deal with forces that are coming in through the body. And it can just, the muscles just contract. They stay kind of isometrically contracted and then force can go everywhere. So yeah. as speed of movement increases, then we need more of a simple body because we don't have time. So we just get these co-contractions happening all over the body. And that's what allows force to be transferred to other areas that actually can deal with those forces rather than it just getting stuck in my knee joint because my knee is wobbling and bending and straightening, straightening. No, when I'm in that, when I'm on that leg, I need my knee to be nice and stable. I need my ankle to be nice and stable. And that's, that's what the co-contractions of, of the, of the muscles are. And that's why they're so important to train. Yeah. I, I just find it fascinating when I came across, you know, the famous, your famous hamstring bridge on a foam roller, when you can get someone, a guy who can pull 200 kilograms from the floor, but as soon as you get him to keep his ribs down, posterior tilt his pelvis and push through the forefoot, he's screaming for his mum, and it's, uh, yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's funny. Yeah, so that's something like that we trained and that's... Um... So that's that's kind of a preparation i've probably gone off the deep end but that's a preparation for co-contraction work because that's like foot is working the calf is working and the hamstring working so we're getting these that's more of a co-activation where i'm getting that whole those muscles that are synergies they work together they start to we get them to start to work and then when i stand up and and do other movements then i'm starting to get the quad as well and that's when they start to get these co-contractions starting to happen and that's why yeah powerlifter a powerlifter gets low, usually gets a lot of co-contraction around the spine but can't get them very well around the legs um certainly not in like running specific positions so that's why a lot of gym people it these things are, are timing rhythm and coordination and timing rhythm and coordination have almost nothing to do with strength so the people who just say get stronger, get stronger, and then go for a run, 
that that doesn't really add up in reality. Yeah, I think you do it. You you, you talk about it so well, David, in the introduction to the, the low body basics program, where you have the the four, I think it's four or five stages, and you say, look, like I don't care where you are now. In so many words, we're going to start stage one because irrelevant to what you think, you probably need stage one, and it's all about the way you describe it there, I think is the synergistically the muscles working together to be able to do step three or four and to be able to go out and run. But people yeah. just want to do the running, right? People just yeah. want to go, I need to go for a run. That's boring. And I don't really see, I'm not going to see a return on my time invested into yeah. that stuff straight away. I don't understand yeah. it. So I'm just going to run and then I'm going to kind of moan about the consequences of running, you know? Yeah. Yeah, but then when they feel it, like this is what I was saying about proving it earlier, because then at step one, they realize, Jesus, I can't do step one. So, but I get messages all the time from people saying, should I just go on to uh, lower body basics phase two? I'm, I'm a good athlete. Should I just go on to phase two? I'm like, no, like I've, I've we've had like 100 Olympic athletes and 200, maybe even 500 professional athletes do that program. And they all start on step one of the of the program and they all struggle with it. And it's not like they're injured. They're they're a sprinter that's gonna go, go that's gonna be in Tokyo this year. Like it's so and they're still starting there. We've we have like international soccer players and rugby players working on this stuff in season. So we can't we can't we can't skip steps there's but but like it's hard to tell someone that until they feel it and then they realize oh i can't actually do step one my back squat doesn't actually matter here when i try to do this movement <laughs> yeah you take all the fancy stuff away and just go to the basics and and kind of there you are yeah. I, I think that sort of although we could carry on chatting all day i know you've got busy schedule and stuff but just want to thank you for coming on and i'm sure the guys will do the same as well and I think it segues nicely into the opportunity for you to kind of um, just talk a little bit about how people can find out more about you and about those programs that we talked about. So the lower body basics and more recently, the core basics and how people can access those and, and maybe who it's for as well, because the people listening will think, oh, there's a lot of scientific terms we talked about today. Like, would it be for me? So just an opportunity, David, for you to talk about those things, please. Yeah. Yeah. I won't go crazy on it, uh, but no, they can, they can, if they're interested in some of the work, they can go to David Gray Rehab on Instagram. That's G-R-E-Y. Or, or my website is the same, David Gray Rehab. I promise I keep it as simple as possible. There's no, I kind of, the, 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 the thing who was as far, with my Instagram anyway, I think it's for anyone. And that's marketing people, which I actually kind of am a marketing person as well. But they would tell you, like, pick a specific group and target them. And that's where I kind of struggle a little bit because it's not for a specific group, really. It's just, this is how I think your body should be able to move. And I could probably be a multimillionaire if I said, this is the fix to everyone's knee pain. <laughs> um, and there is someone doing that out there, but there's, there's, I don't, I don't think that's quite the, the way to go about it for me at least. So I just think it's for a lot of people, like my, my work, I'm trying to keep it simple, as simple as possible. And you'll see that like there's a lot of trainers and a lot of physios looking at it and, and using it. And, and then there's a lot of people who are just Joe Soaps who just are interested in feeling and moving a bit better. And it's kind of that bridge or that the, where those two worlds collide, because I think a lot of trainers and physios and strength and conditioning coaches 
one don't know about this stuff very much and two they don't really understand why it's important or how to explain it in a simple way and so i explain things and try and are trying to explain things in a simple a simple enough way that those people cannot can start to understand it and then the people who aren't really aren't don't have any background in that stuff can actually say oh yeah that actually makes sense to, as to why i would do that so i'm trying to kind of get in between there so that anyone can can understand it but it is for people who are actually interested in feeling better and moving better there's theory is fine but like pra- i'm interested in practical things that get fairly predictable and repeatable results so in terms of the programs i i I get everyone to start with lower body basics one like all my private clients there's a reason um you said at the start day that i got quite busy over covid and and it looked like things started going well It, it the reason was i actually just started i just put the stuff that i was doing with all my clients anyway and that's like top level all the way down to someone who just wants to play with their kids a bit better I just put it into a program and said, here you go. Like people were asking me, how did you do that with that person? What did you, what, what are you doing there? Give me a little bit more about that drill. And I just put it into a program and it just exploded. So 5,000 people have done it from all, have done that program from all walks of life. And um, that's what I like people to start because listening and hearing a podcast about breathing and stuff, hopefully hopefully people pick up stuff from that but like as you all know yourselves when you feel something and you do it it actually makes sense then like the practice you have to start to apply it it's the same with talking about a diet like i'm gonna go on this fancy diet it doesn't really matter until you actually start to do it you know so that's what i like people to to start so lower body basics one if people are interested in that breathing stuff getting their hips to move better and probably smoking their legs as well (laughs) Awesome. Yeah, it's application, application, or in my terms, it's you do the work at the end of the day. If you don't, if you don't implement the stuff that you're listening to or learning about, like you say, you can't understand it. Yeah. Uh, and if you can't understand it, you can't kind of feel the benefits. And that's anything you've talked about in terms of breath work, nutrition, training, the lot, I guess. Yeah. Um, so just, just brief that you do uh, sort of one-to-one stuff as well as those programs as well, right? I do, but I'm, I, I'm struggling. I have about a three month waiting list at the moment. So um, I would say don't, don't, don't try and have okay, no one on one at the moment, but I do have, um, I have a couple of physios working for me now um, and I've kind of mentored them and, and trained them and they're, they're flying. They're getting they're They're, it's just all online. Like they're, I've been, I've an Irish girl um, who was working with someone in Germany the other day and then someone in, I think Australia as well. Like she, so she's delighted like that. She's getting exposed to all these different people from around the world. And it just shows how powerful it is that when you can use movement to help people, like you, you don't need the hands-on work as much. Not that I'm, I, I, I don't mind the hands-on work or the manual therapy, but there's, there's so much people can do. There's very rarely that someone has reached their absolute limit and they can't move a bit better or get things moving, you know? So, um, so yeah, we have, we do online work um, and those guys are better than me anyway. So the, the two guys I have, so um, they've, they've far eclipsed me. So I, I, I get people to book in with them. <laughs> awesome. Brilliant. Thank you very much. I appreciate you coming on today and your time I've gone an hour and 10 minutes or so there. So much appreciated. And I know that this, this will be useful and it's all evergreen for people listening in or watching or what have you. Um, lads, have you got any sort of final words? Um, 
No, just a massive thank you, David. Uh, same as the other guys, you've had a massive influence on, on my career in the last 12 months since finding you. you know, my program is now more performance-based um, and I'm having some really good uh, results with my guys who are coming to me with rotator cuff problems and knee pain and they're alleviating them. So yeah. if I can understand what you're saying, that means you're articulated very well because honestly, <laughs> I struggle at the best of times, mate. So no, thank yeah. you. Me too, mate, because that's, that's why I try to look... That's why I tried to. That's why I tried to speak in this way because I, I'm I'm just interested in what what would I want to listen to? Not someone talking about the fanciest terminology and it not making sense to anyone and not having any practical behind it. So I'm the same. I just talk in this way because that's how. If I was trying, if someone was trying to teach me, that's what I would want to hear. You know. So no, you're welcome. Well done. It looks like you've killed it over the last year. So well done. Yeah, thanks, Mill David. Similar to Krabby, and I think anyone listening definitely to take home that message of when you actually try it and understand it and feel it working. That's like you know the people. I'm sure Krabby's the same. When we first gave it to them, we're probably a bit like iffy about whether this would work. But when you see the results, that's it. It's like clicking your neck feels amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on. Um, I enjoyed that. So. Well awesome. done. Thank you very much. I hope, I hope it works out okay now. <laughs> well, so yeah, yeah. Thank you very much, guys. Listen, thank you. Go ahead and buy the low body basics program 100 percent It'll improve um at least something in your training and your overall life. Uh, you know, from, from experience and doing it and describing some of the things, absolutely go ahead and, and make that investment. Um and yeah, thank you for tuning in, lads. Thank you. Um, and David, I'm sure we'll keep in touch. Thank you. Cheers, Cheers David. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Take care.